listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening, this is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse. My goal for this show is to educate and to help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic violence. If you're listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me, uh, my email address is shereencwr at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I would like to remind everyone that our show is on Thursdays at 9 p- uh, I'm sorry, 8 p.m. Central Time, uh, this second and fourth Thursday of each month. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want a direct link to those services, you may go to our homepage uh, on the website, cwrtalknetwork.com, and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. And if you would like to call in tonight to talk to my guest, my number for that would be 917-889-8078. We're going to have a woman by the name of Tammy Coates on our show tonight. I'm going to introduce her a little bit more right after this message, our public service announcement. My savings are gone. Okay, where were they last? Here, right before I spent them on that vacation to Aruba. Weird. Not weird. Not saving now means no money later. For free ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Uh, Tammy uh, is uh, an advocate against domestic violence and has experienced it in her life. And then a year ago, she lost her daughter to it on March 31st, 2017. She fights for educating people on domestic violence, and she will talk to us tonight about what to look for as a parent, about the rights of abusers versus the rights of a victim as well. And then she also has a foundation that she calls the Cammie May Foundation. So we'd like to welcome Coates to our show. Tammy, can you hear me? I sure can. How are you? Awesome, awesome. Okay, so my first question for you is, well, first share your story about Cammie with us, uh, Cammie's story with us. Okay, um, Cammie was uh, on and off from the time she was 18 um, in and out of the house. She's moved out on her own several times and would come back. Um, she had a long-term relationship where she had two children. Um, uh, about two and a half months prior to her death, she had started dating online, dating, I guess, this guy that she had known in school when she was young, like elementary school. Um uh, He had fed her full of a bunch of lines and stuff, and he moved here from Wyoming and moved in with her. On March 31st, um, a police officer showed up at my house at around 11.30, 12 o'clock, and told me that they'd found Tammy dead in her bathroom, um, and they were strongly looking at the boyfriend. 
prior to that, he he the twenty not even twenty four hours from the time he moved down here in December, she um, started showing signs of the abuse. I uh, had seen it before because I had had uh, it been an abusive relationship, but when I asked her those questions or if he was hitting her, what what happened? She would um, come up with some extremely good stories. She, um, I, like I said before, it wasn't even 24 hours when she looked like somebody had punched her full right between the eyes. Just And she said that she had hit a deer in her car and she hadn't had her seatbelt on and her face had bounced off the steering wheel. Um, about oh, two weeks before she died, I told her that nobody becomes that clumsy in two and a half months and she needed to go to the doctor and see if there was something physically wrong with her. She was taking it to the extreme of where she went, made it the doctor's appointment, went to the doctor the night before she was murdered, and they had scheduled CAT scans and everything, because she was going to prove to me that it was physical or in her brain, not that he was not hitting her. Oh, wow. So she had convinced herself that she could convince the doctor then as well. She had she felt she was um I don't know if she would have ever fallen fallen followed through with the cat skin because um I think she was just trying to prove a point to me. She had sworn on her kids and they were not his kids, but she had sworn on her kids that they he wasn't hitting her. Um she was afraid of him and there were times where she would say, I wish he would just leave I wish he would just get so mad at me that he would just leave and move out. I'm done with his whining and his constant calling and his constant texting when he's not here. If she did not respond immediately to a text message, she then received a phone call. And then if she didn't respond to the phone call, she would, uh, he would, when she did answer, he would just rip her up one side and down the other. Very controlling, very, even when he was just living in Wyoming and calling her, she had to FaceTime, even going to the store. The signs were all there and were all apparent, but she would she would promise me, and I should have looked into it further. I should have. But he, the officers found her. He said it was a car accident. He'd called her in, called them and said that she had, he'd found her in the bathroom. She, um, uh, he said it was a car accident. The car was missing. The cops were investigating. Um, once they located the car, they were able to determine um, that it could not have caused the injuries that she had. The medical examiner said there was no, absolutely no way she had um, been in a car accident. She was very severely beaten. She had no bone structure left in her face that I could tell. Oh, no. And she had to literally FaceTime him if she went to the store? She the grocery store her um day was in October and she was having a she had moved her she had moved in with her sister until she could find a place down here in this small town. And she had to FaceTime the birthday and explain to everyone who was there, her brother, who's that guy? That's my brother, that's my brother's friend. She literally had to explain every person that was in the room. And she was afraid of him, wasn't she? 
she seems family, so or both life that she would never administer. She just wanted to be loved so bad and some people she was heavier but she was beautiful and she just felt like no one loved her and she didn't want to be alone. Oh, that's difficult. And so as some of the signs um, that parents need to look for, what would you suggest? Um, the avoidance, not um, not coming. If she's dating someone new and she used to come over to the house on a daily basis or even a weekly basis and she avoids starting to come over, she doesn't answer her phone calls because she's busy or she'll um, – the. Um, not looking you in the eye when you ask her a question. Ask them a question because um, men are abused too. But uh, the marks, um, she had a logical explanation for every mark, but it was so many in such a shorter period of time. She, oh, a box fell at work and hit me in the face. Um, that's what bruised my eye. Um, that deer with the steering wheel. Uh, she, he would always answer her phone, call her, and, and he'd answer her phone. Oh, she's just in the kitchen. Let me give it. I'll give it. I'll right here. And it wasn't um, just because she was in the kitchen and left her phone in the living room. It was every time I, almost every single time I called, or I would have to call his phone to get a hold of her because her phone, would, she would not answer her phone. He would would make her leave it in the car if they went into the store, so that he had that control. He he finished yeah. every single one of her sentences, um, interrupted every single um, explanation. She would try to explain something that had happened, um, something funny her daughter had done, and he would finish it for her. He was very um, he's very controlling. She. Oh, well, she would always have to ask him if she could go anywhere. If he was at work, she'd say, well, don't tell him that I come down here. Don't let him know I come down here. He doesn't like me to come down here when I'm not with him. He likes to come down to to visit. Don't So I don't want him to know that I came down because he'll feel bad that I didn't bring him with. Didn't wait till he could come to. And I, I don't know. It's so hindsight is twenty twenty, and you look back and you think I should have saw the signs better. I should have known more. I should have stopped this. Maybe I could have saved her. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. So some of the red flags are if they isolate themselves from their parents or if their phone seems to be more... Yeah, their family. And if their phone is... uh, is occupied a lot or not answered a lot because they need to, you need to go through them. And when they're not looking you in the eye, when you ask them a direct question. And they marks on their bruises, unexplained, unexplained bruises, Normal, right? Like everybody walks into a low cupboard or something and gets a bruise. And it, I mean, I have several times that these are consistent 
several bruises over an amount of weeks that are she can she explains for something but but don't seem normal to for that person. Like if yeah. there's somebody that's really clumpy, I guess it would be harder. But if they've not been clumsy their entire life, and then all of a sudden they've had all kinds of mishaps. Yeah. So well, and I liked your it. comment to her. Um, no one gets that clumsy in a matter of a couple months. Right. Because someone, if someone's clumsy, they've been that way their whole life. But when yeah. they start falling downstairs and falling into things and hitting things. Tripping, slipping on ice. Right. And and he would um, trip her. He would literally trip her. If she was walking past him, he'd put his foot out, and she'd trip and catch herself, and she'd look at him, and he'd say, oh, I'm just kidding. Sorry, hon. And that's one and thing would, that I learned was uh, a long time ago is when they say, oh, just kidding, just just joking, anything like that is uh, – is wrong. Take it seriously. They're not just kidding. They're not just joking. That's correct. <clears throat> They're not. They and they control the money, the keys, the phone, the everything is controlled by them. The right. soda. You think it was not, but um, oh, he's just holding my drink for me. Uh, he's just being polite. Just being kind. Right. He loves me so much. Right. And we do need to add that not all of um, every abuse situation may have a little bit different uh, control issue. Um, That was hers for sure. And let me ask you this. Um, What do you say to your child when you figured out they've been abused? What would you suggest at this at this juncture now now? For hindsight, you said hindsight, you've learned some additional things. In now, I believe that if you if you feel that they're being abused, you should have to um, address it differently. You can't just go in there. I know he's hitting you. You need to get out of that. How can you stay? Because it's, there's a different mindset for someone that's been abused. Um, they don't think the same way. They have such low self-esteem. Anyway, right. because an abuser can, an abuser drags you down so bad. You're fat. You're ugly. Oh my God, you're worthless. Oh my God, how right. stupid can you be? Um, until a point where you can tell, you can only kick a dog so many times until they real they realize. Just like a person, you can tell a person they're stupid over and over again, and soon they'll believe it. Right. And so if you're telling someone they're stupid, that they're ugly, they're fat, nobody will have them, it, it just drags them down more. So you can't go in there guns ablaze and screaming at her because she's already being her, they're already being abused by someone. So aggression and um, anger only makes it worse. So you have to show empathy, not sympathy, because you don't want to pity them but empathy and understanding to help them see that they are better, that they are loved, that you would never leave them, that you care, that there are other people out there that care, that that one person that's keeping all the control is not the only person in their life. Right. That they have somewhere to go. 
family doesn't want you, no one wants you. I'm ill. And it's not true. I remember um, speaking to um, Meredith Cherry. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's riding her horse across the United States in um, to bring awareness to domestic violence. She was in a very, I met her in um, Bernal and spoke to her, and she was in a very abusive relationship, and he had her convinced that her parents hated her and didn't want her and that would never help her. And when right. she finally did escape, she says the, wor- the worst five minutes in her life was the phone, five seconds in her life was the phone call as a because she didn't know if her parents would answer her, her call. But as soon as they did answer and told her how much they loved her and that they were always there, it was so much relief. And that's kind of uh, the direction that my next question um, was going in um, at times that abusers may get angry for any reason at in-laws. Not only that, um, they also turn, they try to turn in-laws away from the victim or at least make the victim. And um, yeah, they think they have. What happened in Cammie's case that way? Um, You know what? Tammy, I do have a call online for you. Do you want to, mind if we take that right now? Huh? You can, yeah. Okay. Hello? Hello. How long was Cammy engaged? Yes, this is Leslie. Awesome. Okay, so what's your question for Tammy? Hi, Tammy. How long was your daughter engaged to her murderer? It was just two and a half months. They had dated and been um, talking over the phone for probably, and um, letters and correspondences through Facebook for probably a a year. And um, she had went to Wyoming one time to see him, and then he moved here. She had known him as and, a child. He'd lived in this small community. She'd known him as a child and in elementary school with him, and so they had just reconnected. And what was what were his family's reactions to the relationship that you had with your daughter? His family is wasn't really in the picture. His mother was a drug addict and had given him up for adoption, and his adopted parents had, had since deceased. Um, before we he met Cammy, um, we found he had been in prison, and he had told her that he had been there because of drug problems, and that he is totally rehabilitated, and he was so um, not he was going to make it work this time. And he was stay off away from drugs, but he had been arrested because he had been basically dealing drugs. Um, she is one to always give a second chance, and she's never been a drug user, so she figured she would be able to help him. And uh, it was after she was murdered we found out all, all the other information. I know this is going to be a really hard question for you, but um, how long from the time she met him until her murder? Um, physically saw her, saw him till she was murdered was about four months. Yeah. 
Okay, she thank went you. back to Wyoming in like um, October, and uh, he moved out here in December. So it was maybe it might have been five or six months. And how about reconnection? She reconnected with him online, correct? Yes. And how much time on the reconnection before she went and saw him? Was that two months, did you say? No, it was probably about six months because um, he had been out of, it might have been more than that. It probably would have been about 10 months because he'd been out of prison and then he supposedly violated his probation, so they put him back in for 10 months. His supposed violation that he accidentally fell off the wagons and used drugs um, was actually that he had um, beat up a girlfriend and <gasps> been hospitalized, and so they put him back in prison for that. So I'm assuming that he was in in jail. For, how long was he in prison? Is my first question. Um, after she was killed, we he'd been no, in before prison since he was 16, right? Um, so at, we didn't find anything of the prison thing out. He said it had only been two years. But it had only been two years that time. He'd been in and out of prison most of his adult life. And was it because of drugs? And abusing women. And he um, had previously been, um, had at a younger age, had um, attempted to strangle and kill a family, a young family member when he was younger, like a cousin. Oh my gosh! But, but none of that was readily available until he became um, the suspect of the of killing Cammy, and then it hit the news, and then the news digs up all the information. And, and have you gone to her? There. Has she had? Has there been a murder trial yet? We're currently in, still in the pretrial stages of it. He's been. Um, fighting his innocence to prove his innocence. He hasn't, we haven't, he keeps um, throwing up motions, filing motions that cause a delay in the court case. And that's what you're waiting for now. Any? I'm sorry, Leslie. Go ahead. Go ahead. Have they have they tried to set a date in the near future? Um, we do have another pre-trial um, motion hearing in August 1st. They have not even set a jury selection or a trial date. Okay. Well, thank you so much for answering questions that I have. Thank you. Thank you for calling in, Leslie. We so appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. And my prayers are with you. Thank you so much. <clears throat> okay. Um, let's go to a public service announcement.
This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat. And apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable, but how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence, and we're talking to Cammie Coates about her daughter, uh, Cammie May. And uh, one thing that I had asked you uh, just before uh, Leslie uh, got on was how do they um, do, does the abuser typically get angry with the in-laws so that the other, so that the spouse will not have much to do with them? Did that happen in Cammie's case? Did she, he like make up reasons to be angry with you guys so she would... Uh, stay away from you guys or whatever no he um he didn't he was like um always happy go lucky I always just thought he was more of like an arrogant idiot um he was always just all about him all about him he was so great he was so this he was so that um he never he um he would just you've met them he those type of people, I'm not saying that they're all abusers, but they um, typically all they can do is talk about themselves and how they've been there, done that, and done it better than anyone else type of stories. And and he was just one of those type of people. He um, wanted to be us to like him so much and believe um, that he was amazing. We, when he was looking for, for the car, they had questioned him for six hours, and and they had let him out because they didn't, they still weren't sure what had happened. And he, the first thing he did was have one of his friends call my phone. And I know if I would have talked to him, he would have tried to convince me that he was the victim. Oh yeah, yeah, they're always the victim. That's my favorite part. Never okay. their fault. No, it's never never their fault, never their fault, no. And they're so quick to throw the victim under the bus, it's unbelievable. Um, I have um, Leslie back on. She has one more question, she indicated. Okay. Welcome back, Leslie. Hi, to Tammy. CWR. Hi. Hello. Um, did your daughter have any children? Not with him, but she has two. She has a little boy that he'll be 14 on the 15th of July, and then a little girl that is five. And may I ask how they're doing? They're living with their dad right now, and they seem to be doing okay. They're both autistic, 
Um, they're very okay. high-functioning autistic, um, so you probably wouldn't even be able to tell other than the um, her daughter's speech is a little bit behind a normal five-year-old. But they're so smart, it's scary. Um, they do, it's really hard. Um, Sophia was two and a half, well, it's been, no, she was probably four when she, um, her mom was killed, yes, just turned four after she was killed, and she doesn't understand um, why she's gone forever. She really and misses her mom. I, I didn't tune in on the very first, so what was her, the date of it was your daughter going to heaven? March 31st of 2017. Okay, thank you. And um, so Do you get to see the children regularly? I get to see him quite often. Um, I Frankie has a phone, and then and he keeps in touch with me. Um, their their dad usually lets me see them um, whenever I ask. I I get to see him pretty often, which is not always the case. Um, if the I this part is um, luckily the family of the murderer doesn't have the kids. In that case, it's harder obviously, because they come from that type of environment that the parents usually know the person has been troubled, but since their dad is not the one that killed her, um, I usually, he's usually really good to let me take them. Well, that is good, and thank you so much for answering the questions. Um, um, I'm going to hang up, and y'all continue, and I'll listen in. Thank you, Leslie. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Okay, uh, Tammy, um, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. I guess uh, what what really did happen to Cammie, not what he said that happened. What was the truth? Um, She was severely beaten, and her cause of she had been strangled. um, Oh. Her and she'd been beaten with a object her, and from numerous um, positions on her head. Um, she died from blunt, severe blunt force trauma to her head. Uh, she had bruises and over her entire body. Um, the they said that um, he had continued to beat her after she died. I, in my opinion, I believe the reason he continued to beat on her is she actually had the nerve to die and not take it. Yeah, not that he blamed. I mean, that makes no sense to some people, but I believe he blamed her for dying. Yeah, well, it's always her fault. Everything's their fault. And you did indicate that when he was younger, he tried to choke a cousin or a relative, another relative of some sort. What age was he when yeah. he did that? I'm not sure. It was on um, the news after he. Um, after they've done it. Okay. Um, um, and then, so go he, ahead. But he was younger. It was before he turned um, 18. Um, he had, he'd been convicted. They call him prior bad act, so they can't bring him up in um, his court case now um, unless they follow a pattern. But he'd been convicted twice of, uh, or two or three times, and, put to prison 
before beating a woman and um we've been contacted by several women that said they had dated him and that he had abused them, but they were too afraid to um, come forward. Yes. Yeah. And uh, were they in Wyoming as well? Yes. And what's the statute of limitations in Wyoming? I'm not sure. I would have to look that up. But, um, California has lifted their statute of limitations for abuse victims, and I pray that all of the states lift their um, statute of limitations because of the fact that two years and a, a woman is barely healing in two years. How is she ever going to accuse her abuser and get anything accomplished when she's still yeah. in the healing process? And the laws aren't tough enough because no. um, you'll get the same fine. Well, you'll get the same charge if your dog is at large that uh, um, they would get if on the first time that they got arrested for domestic violence. Right. They, right. And, so and if they keep letting them out, you're not protected. You're if you and you're afraid of them. Yeah. You're terrified, and they're telling you that they're going to come and kill your family or kill your friends, right. and then you're supposed to go testify against them, and they're out in 30 days? Right, or or 30 minutes. Um, yes. One of my uh, – a girl that's on my council, she uh, her husband beat – her ex-husband, ex-husband beat her up four times, and she spent more time in the hospital than he did in jail. And uh, because he was bailed out within within the hour um, by family and friends, <clears throat> and so it. And then I went to a court case not too long ago. Actually, I was going with a friend to a speeding ticket case, and I was the wrong person to have in that courtroom at that time because the person just before us was a young kid who had gotten physically aggressive, if you will. He hit his girlfriend I don't know how hard it wasn't really indicated and um, he got community service that was it yeah yeah I have a friend now that um, this is the third time her husband's tried to kill her and he is in jail with a 50,000 cash only bond down here um, which they've got the cops down here eyes are wide open now because of the amount because of the murder and then uh, the amount of abuse that there is actually down here so that they've set the bond higher but um, he's trying to get out and get the bond lower and he the first time he tried to kill her he went away for I believe almost five years and then he came back and now the second time he tried to kill her she didn't report it and the third time he tried to kill her someone else reported it and she's so terrified that it'll get out because she doesn't think that they're going to. They she they don't she doesn't think they'll hold the bond that high. Yeah, they won't, and, and then he will kill her. Now you said that um, they have to show a pattern. I'm thinking if he went to jail for beating up women twice, tried to beat, uh, tried to kill someone when he was younger. I'm thinking that's a pattern. If they can prove they they were all like a strangulation pattern, then they can use it. Only if the 
there are medical records and um, police records to prove their story. They can't just come in and say, um, well, he hit me too. Uh, they, I've been told that they, that's not something that they can use because anyone can be angry at someone and lie, even if they're under oath. So there has to no, be physical proof. But he already went to jail, right, for two of those? Correct. Correct. And so... So um, if it, it shows a pattern of strangulation, but he's already been charged and served his time for those charges. Right, right. So the, right. what he, he does to the women, it has to show a pattern, like if he, if he strangled all of them, um, so he, it has you know, to be the to same, them. It has to be the same, same type, type. Of, of abuse? Yeah. So That's he can beat one me. with a bat, and we're good. We don't have to talk about that one anymore. And then he can beat one with his fist, and, and that one doesn't count either because it wasn't strangulation. Is that what you're telling me that they're saying? That's what it sounded like to me. If, if, unless it shows a pattern, which his does show pattern because he does try to strangle them, and sh- her autopsy showed um, damage to her throat in the form of what would have been somebody would had been trying to strangle her. And so the ones that do have a police report and medical records to back their story, they can pull those in. And this is in Utah, in northern parts of Utah? It's in central Utah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you my mouth is dropped open about 10 feet, and I'm in shock. So it's okay for men, if I'm getting everything correctly, to beat the crap out of women. As long as they do it a different way, it's not a pattern. If they're charged in court is what, and that's just my opinion of what he was telling me. I may have misunderstood it, but I was told, I, I said I have all these women saying that he's beat them as well. And they said that they can't bring it into court in front of a judge unless there is a pattern and physical there is a law that and physical actual paperwork showing that they were abused there's a law right. that's called and it's everyone it's prior bad acts and you cannot have your prior bad acts held against you if you've already been convicted and served your time in that unless it shows a pattern okay so um a prior bad act if you've already served your time, you can't use it against you unless it's the same type of uh, act. Unless it shows a pattern, yes. Well, in my opinion, a pattern is, is a behavioral pattern, and I'm seeing a behavioral pattern. He hits women. Uh, that's yes. a pattern. But I'm in shock that, and and I don't think you heard it wrong. I, I don't know. I'm going to look into... Uh, some different things around in the area that I live, but um, I'm going to follow up on that. But the thing is, is it it the pattern shouldn't be the same type of abuse. It should be period abuse. It should be oh, he used a bat on this woman, and he used um, his fists on this woman. He strangled this woman. It's all the same thing. Yeah, I'm. I'm just sad that that someone's not seeing that as a pattern. <clears throat> well, and then after he, people have come up to me after he had, and they said the reason that his adoptive father had thrown him out of the house and he got back in with his mother 
who was a drug addict, and he says that's how he became a drug addict is when he went and found his real mother. Um, the, the, he had thrown him out because he was so he wouldn't listen to him, he wouldn't um, do anything he said, and he was 16, and he was beating his father up, and they kept telling him, his dad, you've got to do something with him, or he's going to hurt you, perhaps kill you. So he's been abusive and mean all his life, and we didn't know that. There was no pattern. I mean, there was no documentation. That's what I'm looking for. There was no documentation. So on some of the women that came forward to to you, there is no documentation because they feared for their life, and they can't um, prove it because they didn't go to the hospital for evaluation. Or they lied why they weren't to the hospital, like, um, or some of the girls, most of the women, the women that did charge him, they did provide all their depositions and um, papers, but and medical history. Um, right. The ones that didn't charge him obviously didn't have anything. I don't know if they went to the doctor and and just said, "Oh, I fell down the stairs," like you said. Or what? But right. all they said is, "I I was too afraid to go. I didn't have, I couldn't, I couldn't. I was afraid of him." Um, right. He and he got plea deals on. The one woman said that he was supposed to get five years. He'd held her hostage for a certain amount of hours, and while her children were sleeping in the other room, and beat her. And they and there was a hostage situation, and he was supposed to go away for five years, but he had violated his probation or his parole had uh, made a he made a plea deal right before he went away and all he really got was 18 months and so he was had to go back to jail, prison for the 10 months of the parole that was left that he had violated so for hers he basically only got eight and was that what state was that in Wyoming that was in Wyoming well, this is – and that's why he probably wanted to leave Wyoming. I would imagine, yes. Get the heck out of there before because he'd been in trouble so many times. I don't think he thought – I don't know what he thought. I, I still don't. I don't understand. Um, my daughter was one of those people that everyone loved. Um, I don't know that she knew that. At her funeral, there were more, over 700 people came to her funeral, and I didn't even know, they weren't coming for me because I didn't know most of them. They um, had said she had worked in convenience stores and, and with the public most of her life, and they said they'd met her in Family Dollar, and uh, they looked forward to because even on their worst day, if she was there, she made sure they did not leave until they were smiling, just walking in the door and talking to her made their day. Oh, that is she so was, sweet. She was the type of person that would, if she met you, you were her friend, you were her family for life. She always granted second chances to everyone. She loved everyone, and she was kind to everyone. Even she could make a friend in a grocery line in two minutes. Uh, it's just what she had. She saw the good in everyone. She was too trusting, in my opinion. 
Well, and you know what? That's just going to be blessings for her on the other side for sure. But my concern is, it. well, I'm very glad that you brought all this forward. I'll tell you that right now because now um, I'm going to look into our state on how we deal with that um, in Utah. I know Leslie's going to um, deal with it in Texas, and I'm going to see if uh, some other connections will deal with it in Colorado and we'll see what's going on on why this I'm going to check Oregon as well because it's so wrong um, that they can they have an ongoing pattern of abuse but but nothing happens because it was a different type of abuse (laughs) and so you can't use that against them and I think that's wrong on so many levels. These states have, they need to start connecting on these people. I would love to have a national registry, a national domestic violence registry. Do you know the state of Utah has a registry for scam artists? So if someone comes and says they will um, tar your or asphalt your driveway for $1,500 and you have to pay half up front, you can. You, look on a national registry and see that they are actually fraudulent. I feel that if you're convicted, I'm not saying that someone can just go put your name on the national registry. I'm saying if you're convicted of domestic violence, I feel you should be on a registry. And I I see I see your point. I know why you want that. My only concern with that, and I think I've made that uh, evident, I don't know if you were ever listening um, on when someone brought that up. My fear is, and you probably know this, that 43% of all law enforcement are DV perpetrators and they go after women and they know how to ignite these women. And then they arrest the victim because these perpetrators go in acting like a perpetrator and these women ignite. And so obviously they're the problem and they're the ones that get arrested. And unfortunately, um, when, I, when they, I, I see your point now. Yeah, when they when law enforcement does not, and this is happening all over. When law enforcement does not go in with a DV advocate, they typically arrest the victim. If they go in with an advocate, they not only have better um, <clears throat> data, they have more convictions, and they arrest the right person. Because an advocate knows the difference. An advocate has had training. An advocate, you know, has had experience probably as well. But um, those those cities and those counties that do not have advocates going in with their um, their officers, they're setting their officers up for a lose-lose situation. They're causing more um, problems for the victims. Um, they're already psychologically uh, so badly abused it's not even funny, and they only add to that. I've been dealing with one girl who was she wasn't arrested, but he thought he would bully her into flipping on the um on her abuser, but she said no because she feared for her life, and he bullied her and she, her cognitive distortion she was a zombie for for like a year, and I've been working with her, and she's turning around now but um, you, we just can't have that happening. We don't want our law enforcement to make the problem worse. We want them to make it better as far as domestic violence is concerned. So my concern about a, a, 
a registry like that is, it will have 50% victims and 50% um, uh, abusers on there. Well, that's true. But just like a um, the sex offender registry, too, some of those people are actually I, – I've known a couple that actually been on there that – they were 18 and their girlfriend was 16 and she got pregnant and they're married, but he was still, her family had prosecuted him and he had to be on a registry. So it's not ideal, I don't think, but there's got to be some way that we can let other people know or so they're aware of this. And if that's not the, if that's, the registry is a case where it wouldn't work. Um, maybe yeah. the UK has a Claire's law where if you feel your child or boyfriend or someone is like your boyfriend, he's kind of weirder and you want to see a background check and you can go into a police station and get a free background check on the person. If we could some way regulate that to get that a law. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that would be absolutely great. And I think we have another question. Is there someone on? Hello? Yes. Hi, Leslie. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hi. I just, I would like to make a statement as um, a mother of a victim, a fallen victim of domestic violence. I don't think that any child protective services or any family law, any kind of family lawyer or anything should be able to touch a an issue like this unless they have education in domestic violence because they have no clue what they're going into unless they have been educated, pri- educated prior to. They, they'll come out and they'll say, well, you know, the children don't have any, they, they say this, and, or the victim says this. But, you know, if you have that education and you, you can see the signs, I think it's going to give our legislature the red flags when you've done your studies. Yeah. Now, did I you go to the... Every police officer should have to go through a domestic violence training as well. I do. Every. I do, too. I think that... And there should be an advocate on call for every town, if not every town, at least every county. That yeah, they I can, agree. Yeah. They, I, I think I, anybody I, is, who is in a family court, any kind, any kind of led, any kind of law enforcement that has to do with family law should go through domestic violence education. And I think that should be across the whole nation because it is it has it has become a virus throughout our nation. And yeah, and people it's like just North. don't see it. Yeah. It's an epidemic. It is crazy yes, yes. the amount it's going out of control. This is I mean it's just flooding yeah. The country. Yes. And, I mean, people, you know, the police officers will say, well, I didn't see this. But, you yes. know, they're not educated in, in the areas of domestic violence. So they don't know no. what to look for. Right. <laughs> uh, 
did you did either one of you go to the morning uh session on Saturday for the keynote speaker? We had a law enforcement officer there and the, and she specifically said we are not educated in um in working with domestic violence, we're not educated in interviewing domestic violence victims as opposed to any regular victim. Um, yes. They do not know what they do to these women. And I, like I said, I have this girl I'm working with. She's a basket case. Not only did she get help being that way from her abuser, but the law enforcement officer not only pushed her over the edge, he made sure she was in court the next morning, which is unheard of, and impossible, but he made sure, and she yes. had just gotten a new job, and that put a lot of tenuous um, circumstances where she actually ended up losing that job because uh, partially because of his acts and partially because of uh, another abuser's acts. But um, and now she's a zombie, and she's actually after a year she's coming out of it a little bit, and I've been working with her, but. Um, one thing I want to say is domestic violence advocates that I know in all the counties and the cities that use them, they're all volunteers. So I don't want anyone thinking, oh, this is just going to be another cost for our city or our county. It is not a cost. These women and these men have been abused. They know what it's like, and we spend our life for free helping other women to not be abused. And the only win-win I see... The only win-win I see is with the law enforcement going in with the DV advocate. That's the only win-win on for them. I would exactly. have to agree 100. percent And I mean, there there are so many counselors out there that can recognize the signs of domestic abuse. Why aren't we using them? That is my biggest complaint. Right. Right. Why aren't we using them? You know, we have all, uh, you know, if someone, if they said, hey, can you get five women to go 24, I could probably get 15 in this town to go 24 hours. You know, we'd all pick a two hour period or whatever. Because that's well, I'm how in important it is. I'm in Texas and I would be more than willing to do 20 hours a week for you. I know. I, just to get things just so people will know the signs of domestic abuse. Right. There are so many, and they're very, they're obvious once you look at them. Right, right, right. But these, for some reason, these law enforcement officers, and I'm not saying all of them, I'm saying 43%, which is less than 50, um, aren't that capable because of their background. Well, and and a lot of them, you know, the one thing that I that I came across after watching the dash cam videos from my daughter after her murder is they're afraid to act out. They're scared of what's going to happen if they do. Right. And there there shouldn't be what if this happens and what if that happens because if the officers would have reacted accordingly my daughter would not be dead today. Right. And Tammy, yours probably wouldn't be either. In my case, probably. I The police officer that came and informed me that they had, of her death, um, had actually been the 
police officer, when she, um, like I said, he'd been here less than 24 hours, and uh, we're in a small town, so the car actually actually was stopped by my other daughter's house, and she called me, and she says, Mom, Cammie's car's out here, and there's cops. And she goes, I don't know what she did, but maybe you better send Kyle. So I sent um, my son up there, and uh, someone had called on a domestic violence um, saying that they had been screaming at each other at the car and the car had been there. And, um, but they both denied it once the police officers got there had he, and he let them leave in separate vehicles, which just basically makes them come back together. Um, and he admitted that he says, the first time I met your daughter, I believe it was a domestic violence um, situation, but because she denied it, I couldn't, there was nothing I could do about it. And I wasn't trained well enough to know for sure if that's what I was seeing. So let me ask you this, Tammy. um, Did he ask them together? Yeah, he talked to, well, well, he said he he, he was one to one side and he was to the other side. Yes, they need Mm -hmm. to put her in a car and him in a different car so he can actually answer for her. Yes, and he can't hear her answers. Right. I have dash cam videos of my daughter's arm. You could see where her arm was broken. And he was there, so she would not say anything to the officer about the abuse. And she went over a month without medical care because he would not allow her to get medical attention. And that's the chain of domestic abuse. Right. And it needs to be stopped. Right. And the police officers need to be educated for that. Right. And there is so many obvious behavioral differences between a victim and an abuser. A victim will usually take all the responsibility. An abuser will take none of the responsibility. An abuser will throw the victim under the bus. An abuser will throw themselves in front of a bus. I mean, there's so many different attributes of these of an abuser versus a victim that it just surprises me that these law enforcement continue to arrest victims. And how I know they do is because someone contacts me and I go to court with them or I talk to them. I tell them what's going to happen. Um, I tell them that their abuser will lie. And that he will have a shred of truth, and they are not to think twice. If there's a shred of truth, and and most of it's a lot wrapped in a lie, they are to say that's a lie immediately. Because once they start thinking about it, that's when the judge goes, oh, my gosh, they're trying to come up with an excuse for that one. And that's not the case. The case is, this is the first time I've heard of this, you know, in your head. This is the first time I've heard of this. Let me think. I don't remember anything like that. You know, they're already a basket case. They're trying to remember all these lies these people are trying to perpetrate on them. And they never, it never happened. They also condition themselves to lie. So they're trying to remember the lies they've told in order to avoid getting in trouble. Right. Right. And so they're trying, oh gosh, did I, and so to avoid angering their abuser or to not get in trouble. Right. For saying the wrong thing, they're trying to remember everything they've ever told other people. Yeah. Which were lies in order right. to cover for their abuser. Right. 
Yeah, they're always covering for their abuser. They're so it's so obvious who's the victim and who's the abuser. And one thing about if they, um, go ahead. If they don't cover for their abuser, they're gonna get abused even more. They're they're gonna right. they're gonna get tortured even further right. if they don't. Well like and Tammy it's so said, dangerous also because they figured that with the evidence and the stuff that they in the, through the investigation they believed that Cammy was trying to leave him, and the most dangerous part of that an is, abused relationship is when they try to leave. Yep, seventy mm-hmm. well, percent of Cammie, all deaths that, occur. I'm sorry, Cammy. That's when that's why Alicia was murdered because she was trying to leave her abuser as well. Yeah, she'd been with him for twelve years. Um, what I said was 70% of all deaths occur um, when they're trying to leave or just after they leave. That's when right. 70% of DV deaths occur. Yeah. And Cammie was trying to get out of it several times. I mean, not Cammie, I'm sorry. Alicia was trying to get out of it several times, wasn't she, Leslie? Is that correct? Yes. I had actually gotten her out. And, um, she had tried after once I got her out, she was away for about five months and um she went back and he took her to Alaska and hid her from me and when they came back, I had limited access to her and then he, uh, never alone, he carried huh? her phone right he she was never alone and um there there were time there were so many times where he took her, he just hid her away from us, and I wouldn't see her, hear from her for one time was two years, one time was 18 months, and um, I just, I did what I had to do to have a relationship with her. I watched him do drugs so I could have a relationship with her. I just, I started realizing, okay, if I'm going to have a relationship with my child, I'm going to have to accept what he's doing so I would sit in the room and watch him do drugs just so I could be around my child. And I'm not ashamed of it. I will tell the whole world, yes, I did that because I wanted that relationship with my child. And I'm yeah. proud of the last moments that I had with her. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's sad, isn't it? What we have to go through to to be around our children when they choose an abuser. And, and it's not... It's really their cognitive distortion on the abuser because of the lies that the abusers told them. But well, I think once once they get into it so far, they feel trapped. They yeah, feel they like do. they have no they way out. Trapped. I was in one for ten and a half years, and I um, kept thinking, "Well, I have three kids, and I have a high school education, and I can't. Have, how will I support my kids? I have four kids. Sorry." Um, and a high school education, how will I support my kids? And it, it started with one kid, then two kids, then three kids, and then I had four kids, and I was trapped. I didn't have a way to support them. I didn't, I was worthless and ugly and fat and nobody, and nobody would want me, and I would not be able to take care of my kids by myself, is what my mindset was. Yeah. I, you, you feel like there's no other option than to take it yeah i am so sorry for both of you ladies i'm so sorry 
But that being and said, we, you can think about it if you say, um, well, why did she keep going back? Why, I, it, if my husband oh. hit me, I'd, I'd be down the road. There's no way I would go do. But you don't know the mindset of an abused victim. No. There's exactly there's, right. It's a different, it's a different mindset. And, yeah, in my class, I tried to explain all that, um, exactly what they're thinking and how they're thinking it. Well, number one, we, women don't grow up to think, I'm going to get a divorce. Women grow up thinking, I'm going to have a great marriage. I'm going to have, I'm going to work through things. I'm going to, you know, guys grow up with a football in their hand. Women grow up with a baby in their hand and thinking about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. It's a whole different well, mindset between men and women, too. Women grow up with a fairy tale thought in their mind. You know, yeah. they, they're going to grow up and they're going to have children. And they're mm-hmm. going to sit on the front porch in the rocking chairs and watch their grandchildren come to them. And, and, and that's not always the reality of a life, you know, especially in the life of a domestic violence situation. Yeah. And, well, he's telling you you're a failure. He's and exactly. they're telling you and feeding it into your head over and over again that you're a failure. And if you're and you're obviously a failure if you can't <clears throat> make your marriage work or you can't make your relationship work. Of right. course, you're a failure. I mean, you, you want to succeed at something. And and that's not the only thing that you're failing at. Um, my ex, he would um, put away my checks. And then he would pull them out once a month, tell me what bills to pay. My bills were only $1,000. I had several thousand left after that. And he would tell me which ones of his he wanted to pay, and then he would ridicule me. You can't save a dime. So it was just financial abuse is another way of just diminishing you. And and I'm like, wow, yeah, I can't save anything, can I? You know, it, it just it belittles you. It just plays into that psychological abuse. And unless you can retrain that way of thinking, right, they're going right. to keep going back. Right. And and that I agree with that. It is brainwashing, and they have to. And the I had to reprogram my brain. We all have to reprogram our brains when we're around sick people. And I know people don't want to call abusers sick, but they're not healthy. So therefore, they're sick. I mean, these people make sick people because they are sick, and they make people think differently than what's reality. Well, and that's why they call it the circle of abuse. Yeah, you know, it just goes on and on. And you know, they, the parents that are abusers, the, the yeah. children see that cycle of abuse, and then they yeah. they become abusers. And yeah. and it just goes on and on and on and yeah. and that's where that's where the judicial system needs to stop this cycle of abuse. Yeah. And I am I, I don't I, I honestly feel if if these children need to be put into a foster home, put these children in a foster home. Get them away from the cycle of abuse. Because yeah. they're going to continue this abuse, and they're going to be in prison when they get older for yeah. for murdering or for killing for whatever they're going to do, drug abuse, whatever it is. They're going to have that cycle of abuse in their lives because it's what they have lived through their whole life, 
unless well, they are taken away from it. And, Leslie, I think you'll agree with me on this. They need to be taken away, but I think they should be given to a family member of the normal family and not the psychologically damaged family. I can't, I can't agree with you more. You know my history, yeah. so you, I, I can't agree with you more. I think they should stay with family. I don't think they should go into the system, but I think they should go with the family of the victim who, because that family, of course, has a normal way of thinking. It's just she was psychologically abused and her cognitive is distorted now. Her thinking is distorted. And so, but you give a child to a, a, a an abuser's family, then you're you're giving a child to... Another distorted family, another cognitive the distorted cycle family. Continues. Yeah, yeah. The, the cycle continues. Yeah. That's all it is. It just continues on. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate, isn't it? It is. Yes, it is. And unless they have tougher laws for the ones that, like you said, if they get out in 30 days because they hit her or they just get the night off or just out bail out in an hour. Yeah. It's not going to change. If you're not going to increase the penalties for it, you're not going to stop it. I agree. And, and that's my contention as to, it has to be far greater than what it is now. And they have to and arrest the right person. It, I think yes. that it, the laws should change across the nation to where, you know, if if the perpetrator, the the murderer, if his family, if their family gets the children, they cannot accept any kind. They're not allowed to get any kind of social security benefits or anything from the victim, because that's the one thing that we're going through. Is oh no, my my daughter's murder. They're they're living with the uh, the the victims, I mean the murderer's grandparents. They're collecting several thousand dollars a month because of my daughter's murder, and we're still fighting that. And I don't think that should be, I don't think that should be anywhere close to legal. That, no, that no, it's the biggest that's out there. Set it up to where it goes into a trust fund with no executor until that child is of age and can have the money for themselves. Exactly. Oh, I love that but idea. I love that idea. They're collecting thousands of dollars. I mean, $1,200 per child. Oh, my gosh. She has three children. Oh, my gosh. She has three children. And they're collecting Social Security off of my dead daughter because he murdered my daughter and they're collecting this social security off of my child. And my children and you're going I, to I have been I've been watching on Facebook. They're saying that they don't even have money for school supplies for my grandchildren. $3600 a month. How in the heck can they not afford school supplies for my grandchildren? Because they're not I using it for them. Laws, well, the the grandmother is a known drug addict. She nearly killed my grandchildren in a car accident on May the twenty fifth, two 
2017. There's, I, I mean, it's just crazy. That is crazy. They need to stop these laws. They need to make it to where the the perpetrator cannot collect. None of their family can collect Social Security off of the victim's family. Right. Period. I think that's the way it should be. I agree. I like the trust idea. I do, too. I mean, we we have... I, we have actually gone to the attorneys and told them they can keep all the money. Just give us our children. We don't. We don't want the income, but they're they're afraid that we're going to go back. And and that's a that's a huge concern for them. They don't trust people because they can't be trusted. Right. And that's where our laws need to be changed. You know, if if a murderer, if someone murders someone and they leave a child behind, that murderer's parents should not be able to collect benefits from the victim at all, period. That's where my priority lies. Yeah. I like that idea. Tammy, what are your thoughts on that? I feel the same way. I don't think that it's just like if there's a serial killer out there, he's not allowed to benefit monetarily off of movies or books or anything else. There, he can't get any. I think the same should be like Leslie said. I don't feel that if you're if you're the murdered victim had children and they give them death benefits, I don't feel that the person they're murdered by, any family member, even if they're a great person, should get money off of the death of that person. Because I know if they should, if you're a great person, you'll raise those kids for her because you loved her, not because you're getting $3,600 a month for those kids. I right. think that money should go into a trust and that if you need to, like, they need something special that costs something that you can't afford, then you be able to use a certain amount, but you should have to document what you're using it for. You should have to provide documentation. Well, she needs braces. My insurance will only cover 50%. I can't pull the other 50% out of my pocket. She has $24,000 in her trust fund. Can we use... 1500 of it to finish paying for our braces and you should have documentation and proof of what you need it for I don't think they should willy nilly hand them out $3,600 because a month because their son killed their mother right well we had complete insurance we had total insurance we were paying insurance on our grandchildren and that's how we know the grandmother nearly killed my three grandchildren because they sent us the the medical reports. I mean, one of them had a broken neck. Oh no! And yes, a broken neck and broken ribs, and the other one had a broken femur, and two of them had brain bleeds and and um, concussions, and the third one had another concussion. And that's how we were able to know what happened to my grandchildren is because we were carrying the insurance on those children. 
but they would not let us go see those kids. And this is exactly we can pay the insurance, but we can't go see them because of the corruption of our system. This woman was found guilty of having all three different kinds of illegal drugs in her system and nearly killed all three of my grandchildren by passing out behind a wheel of a car. It was actually a, a, a blue pickup truck. One, none of them were buckled in. One of them was thrown from the vehicle. And, and the only way we found out that it, it, all these things happened was through the medical report because we had to pay for everything. Yeah, this is Didn't what be, our um, child endangerment. Shouldn't they have lost them for child endangerment? Yeah, well, they, the Dallas County. Dallas County did put a uh, protective order against the grandmother, but the East Texas Henderson County lifted it because they didn't see any reason for her to be a danger. So that's that's what we have come across. Okay, can you There's say that one more time? They didn't think that they Me? put the children in danger? Yeah, Leslie, I, I was trying to comprehend that, and it just wasn't going through. Well, Child Protective Services in Dallas County put a restraining order against the grandparent, the grandmother, the the murderer's mother who nearly killed my grandchildren. They put a protective order against her and then I would say two months later, I don't I don't even think it was two months later, Henderson County, Texas, in Athens, Texas, lifted the restraining order against Penny Scott because they said they didn't think she was a threat against my grandchildren, even though she nearly killed them. And I have medical records of two other instances where she nearly killed my granddaughter two other times. I am in shock, still in shock. Me too. These are medical facts. Where is taking care of the children? The children are with the murderers parents right now and we're still trying to why don't why doesn't the city or the county care about the children services step in and remove them from the house if you could get them in the system then you have a better chance of getting them away they don't care nobody cares that's the problem. No and one that's cares. the problem with domestic violence, too. They want to talk about it. They no want to say, cares. hey, let's do all this stuff, but people really don't care. No, they don't care. If people cared, they'd be in the home with us. We had a, we've had two child protective services has come and investigated our home two separate times, and they told us our home would be a perfect home to be Raising children 
We have yeah. we are in a school district that's the top seven school districts in the state of Texas. Small schools, little towns, and the all the there's so many tutorial services available. And they said this is the perfect environment to raise your grandchildren. And they said our home was too sophisticated for my grandchildren. This that was their legal words. Those were the words that they said. Our home was too sophisticated. And we are regular everyday home people. I have garden in my backyard. There's nothing it's just crazy. I I am not we're everyday people. Yeah. That's what gets me. Leslie, our time is winding down. I'm going to talk to Tammy a little bit about her foundation. But I so appreciate your comments and your questions. They have been so helpful tonight. I can't tell you, as always. (laughs) And we love you. Um, If you want to continue listening, that would be fine. I'm, but I want I'm to going talk to continue to, to listen for sure. Okay, I wanted Tammy to talk to us a little bit about the Cami May Foundation before we go, because we're going to get shut off here in a little bit. <laughs> so, um, Tammy, please tell us about the Cami May Foundation. What does it do? Um, how does people get in, in a hold of it or donate to it? Uh, all of that. Okay, um, when um, the devastation. If the dev- if I let the devastation take over me, I would never get out of bed. And I felt that um, I had to do something to stop this. It could not continue. It, there's no way that some other mother has to go through the, what I've gone through. And I know there's hundreds, thousands. I'm not um, naive enough to think that I'm the only one. But um, so we set up the Cami May Foundation in honor of Cami, who um, lost her life to the domestic violence. And the Cami May Foundation eventually, hopefully, will expand enough that we can set up a Cami's place to help women in a domestic violence situation. Currently, we're just starting out, so we are just trying to bring awareness. Ours, in our case here in this small area of Utah where I live, I don't think it was that no one cared. I just think some of them probably didn't care, but I think a lot of people care but they were not aware right. of the huge issue that it is. And that actually, like I was telling someone, you can be standing in a store in a line of six women and you can put, okay, so I know I've not been abused. Two, three, she has. One, two, she has. Every third person has a potential. If there's three people in the room, one of them has been abused, most likely. But yeah. no one's aware of it, and it's just this dirty little secret. So I decided it's no longer going to be a dirty secret. If I can help it, I'll scream it from the rooftops if I have to. So we set up the Cami May Foundation. We take donations to the local – well, we don't have a local shelter, but to the nearest shelters. We try to help the nearest shelters. We bring awareness to it. We Silly things like going into parades, handing out um, window stickers that say stop domestic violence, um, hats that say to stop domestic violence, signs in the local stores, um, domestic violence awareness, um, it's not okay, walk away, just any type of saying or just to bring awareness about it. 
Um, you can find us on Facebook under the K-A-M-M-Y, Cami, and then May is M-A-E, Foundation, and the number seven. Or on we have a web page that's Cami May Foundation at dot weebly dot com. Again, our name is spelled with a K A M M Y and M A E M A E. But the foundation was set up to let people know that you aren't alone, that you are loved, that you are cared about, and that there are people that are willing to help you. And you know what? I so greatly appreciate that because that is so important, and I'm glad that your foundation works with my foundation on that issue because we need to all come together and be sharing that information. These women are afraid to come forward. They know nothing will happen to their abuser. They know if they say anything, they'll be dead. Yeah, And they're afraid. I mean, it's – well – he hits me sometimes, but he would never go that far is a mentality that we've got to get rid of because he will go that far or she will go that far. It will end. Right. And it won't end well. Right. If they don't get out. Right. I agree with you. And verbal abuse uh, or psychological abuse, which includes verbal and emotional abuse, is is far more damaging than physical abuse. And if they're going to be psychologically abusive, they will eventually, they say, be physically abusive. And if they're physically abusive, it will escalate. Yeah. But but, um, mental and emotional abuse, in my opinion, doesn't heal for a long time. Um, Physical does heal. Yeah. Normally, unless it go too far, but the mental and myself, I it took me years and years and years not to flinch when somebody moved quickly by me with their hand motion or a just moved quickly by me, and I still say I'm sorry and for no reason at all to be my right. fault. That is right. just a go-to for an abused victim. And I think psychological abuse, the, one of the things it creates is we, tr- we have a hard time trusting anybody. Um, it, it's like, you know, how far can I trust you? Yeah, right, I'm sure. Because the person I trusted explicitly beat the crap out of me or psychologically abused me. How can I trust anybody else? If the person that I trusted explicitly to take care of me, to cherish me, to Just love that me. That he loved me more than life. Right. How can I trust anyone else? Yeah, I was talking to right. someone who has been out for 20 years. I've been out for four. And I said, how, when does it end? When, when can you say that you're healed? And she said, I've been out 20 years, and I cannot say that I've been healed completely as of yet. So I'm going to say it probably stays with us for a very, very long time. Mine's been over 30 Yeah, and I'm so sorry, dear friend. Um, We need to definitely work together. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help your foundation or help you in any way. Thank you so much for being on my show. I so greatly appreciate it, Tammy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your help and everything you're doing. Oh, well, I'm not going to shut up. (laughs) Me either. I'm not going to stop talking, so... Anyway, so thank you very much, and I'm going to let you go now because I'm going to close this uh, segment out, but thank you again so very much, and let me know if there's anything I can do. Thank you. 
Thank you. Good night. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Okay. In closing, oh my gosh, that was a really good um, talk. And I loved having Leslie on there as well. It was amazing. Um, but in closing, I want to just share with you who we're going to have next week. Um, we're going to have Erin Anderson. She's going to be talking to us about addiction and how that can cause abuse and how to help your spouse with addiction so that we can eliminate the abuse through that addiction. Um, it's going to be a great show. Please take the time to listen. That will be on July 26th at 8 o'clock, at 8 o'clock Central Time. And um, I want to, again, thank Tammy Coates for uh, being on tonight and Leslie for chiming in and asking a bunch of questions and helping us out. And have a good night.